The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Welcome to Humanity Evolve with your host, Catherine Colarco. This program will bring your life, family, and community together by focusing on the new technologies and innovations that define your world in an open and relaxed forum of ideas and discussion. Now, here is Catherine Colarco. Welcome. This is Catherine Colarco, the host of Humanity Evolve, How to Succeed and Thrive in a Rapidly Changing World. It is my goal to inspire you, empower you, and inform our community with wisdom from amazing, credible, and trusted world experts who I know and care deeply for, and I know they want to genuinely share their knowledge with you. The purpose of the show is to combine technology and human connection to support you to master your destiny and make a positive difference in your life and in our world. Our friends are here to share proven wisdom that can transform your life. And as it's said in our upcoming guest, we want to nurture what is best in ourselves. One And one thing that you can do this week that will celebrate you. And to start the process off, today we have Stephen Kotler, the New York Times bestselling author and award-winning journalist and the co-founder, director of research from the Flow Genome Project. He, In partnership with Jamie Wheel, he has authored this amazing new book called Stealing Fire, and he is one of the world's leading experts on high-performance, disruptive technology and innovation. And most of all, I think he's an amazing man who has a, a, a BA from University of Wisconsin in Madison, a MA from John Hopkins University, and I know this for a fact, that whenever possible, he can be found hurling down himself down mountains at high speeds on a bike. <laughs> Welcome, Stephen. It's amazing to have you on board, and I just I look forward to this. Stealing fire. So what inspired you to write this book about creating competitive edge and hyperperformance? Uh, it's, it's a fun story, Catherine. It, and it was, it was accidental. It was one of those accidental discoveries. I you know, published Rise of Superman, which was a book about action-adventure sport athletes primarily harnessing flow states, right? Those in-the-zone right. moments of, of kind of optimal performance to really do the impossible, right? To extend the, the boundaries of kinesthetic possibility. And after the book came out, you know, before the book came out, the Flow Genome Project was active with athletes and special forces and really top artists. And those were the, you know, people, um, and maybe kind of like C-suite executives, right? Those were the people we were, yeah. we were working with. Um, right. And it was, you know, and it was on a smaller scale. And suddenly we were all over the place, you know, from whether it was, you know, Fortune 100 companies or, or, or you know, Wall Street financial firms or, you know, insurance companies, Morgan Stanley, like all over the place, wide swatch of people. And every time we'd go into these environments, 
you have to understand, like, we're on stage, it's mainstream business, it's mainstream America, and we are literally touting the, like, benefits of an altered state of consciousness, right? It's flow, yes, there's 150 years of research saying this state of consciousness massively improves performance, but it's still an odd place to be. At least mm-hmm. I felt it was an odd place to be. <laughs> and after, you know, it didn't matter where we were. We could be with the Navy SEALs, we could be with Fortune 100 companies, we could be, it didn't matter where we were. Afterwards, who were coming up to us, a lot of you were coming up to us, and they were like, yeah, this flow stuff is awesome. I've been sort of doing it a little bit in my life, but you got to hear about what else we're doing. And they're whole, mm. talking about taking whole teams to, you know, hardcore, silent, Vipassana meditation, you know, retreats, or everybody's going to Burning Man, or everybody's microdosing to enhance creativity, or everybody's going to tantric sex workshops on the week. Everywhere we went, right, we were talking about one particular altered state of consciousness, and everybody we went, the world's kind of most elite, high-performing organization were kind of drawing from a much fuller menu of mm. kind of non-ordinary states of consciousness, and they were doing it to kind of, you know, improve performance at a, at a, at a really deep level. And, you know, unlike kind of the days of old, people were talking openly about this stuff, which was even more surprising. And, you know, at a certain point, Jamie and I just started looking at each other and we were like, this is, you know, this is more than a, like, this hasn't just happened once. It's been happening everywhere we've gone for a couple of years now. What the hell is going on? And that's really where the book came from. <laughs> so it, you came from the the idea that these people were already trying to actually hyper create new altered states of consciousness as a as a performance tool as a means to increase their capability as people, but also a competitive advantage as a as a corporation or as a team. It's sort of what you were seeing across you know, everything well, from insurance so companies to, let, to Navy what, SEALs. Yeah, let, let's let's put some terms around it so people actually kind of know what we were looking at. So what Great. we were looking. When we were with the Navy SEALs, uh, the commander of SEAL Team 6, or DevGrew in their preferred parlance, um, used a term to kind of, he, where, where they, you know, the Navy SEALs really depend on kind of group flow, right, this shared right. ecstatic experience um, to do their job. It's really fundamental. It's one of the things we learned um, in our time with the SEALs, and he had this very interesting term for it. He, he, used, he went all the way back. He said, look, all the lingo it alters, it's consciousness group, all of it's problematic, and he used the term Stasis, which is the Greek term that specifically means, you know, beyond our normal sense of self and, you know, tapped into this much richer vein of kind of information, intuition, inspiration, creative problem solving. And that's what the Greeks meant by that term. So we started to realize that a couple things. First of all, like there are lots of different ways to produce this experience of ecstasis. You can use action adventure sports. You can use microdosing with psychedelics. You can use meditation. You can use yoga. The list goes on and on and on. And it turns out all these different experiences, neurobiologically, they produce the same changes in the brain. They produce the same kind of experience of selflessness and, you know, access to this information layer, this richer layer of information. So kind of with that as our definition of what was going on, we started to see across the boards every elite organization we met with had, was figuring out ways to harness non-ordinary states of consciousness to improve performance. And, you know, some of this, 
you know, we're starting to map and measure. We've got a really good look at some of the numbers behind kind of what these states do to create a problem solving and how much our abilities go up. But then there are people like the Navy SEALs that give you a, I'll give you a crazy example of, of how this stuff is, yeah, is, is showing up in the world. So for a really long time, back to the 1960s, isolation float tanks have been a tool to alter consciousness, right? It was invented right. by, you know, John Lilly way back in the 60s. And once Lilly sort of went round the deep end and started experimenting with psychedelics and, and, and flotation tanks, they became basically, you know, a hippie curiosity. And that was where they lingered. Right. When we were with the Navy SEALs, they took us into their mind gym, which is, you know, basically, you know, a multi-million dollar attempt to kind of, you know, uh, harness mental training and use these states of consciousness to improve performance. And, you know, in a back corner, we see isolation float tanks, only they've gussied them up with all kinds of neurofeedback and, and, and video and audio screens. And they have discovered that SEALs deploy all over the world um, at once, like five, right. you know, five different theaters at once or something like that. And, you know, think about their jobs. They absolutely have to be able to speak foreign languages. It's, it's fundamental. They're going to be, you know, some of them are going to be inserted undercover. They really have to be fluent. They have to know what they're right. doing. Exactly. And they found that they can train SEALs up inside of these float pods to learn a foreign language. It used to take them six months in intensive training. They've got it down to six weeks. Jeez. By harnessing, right, so, and, and you see, and this is again accelerated learning is something else that is you know coupled to these states. You see it, you know, with flow, where there's studies done by the U.S. military soldiers in flow learn 470 percent faster than normal. The SEALs learning foreign languages in six months, six weeks instead of six months is another example that the, the, that list sort of goes on. It's starting to go on and on. Um, yeah. And does the is and you talk about this with the seals is and you mentioned flow is flow a component of ecstasis or is this is this a one so, way to get to that state you know so how does the flow yeah, no, so yeah. I have to tell you about what I call it's a great story it's one of the coolest yeah. stories I think it's what I call the hundred year detour right. which is if you go back to the kind of the foundation of cognitive psychology. So like first American psychologist, William James, right? right? William James, a Harvard physician, philosopher, psychologist. Many call him the only true American philosopher. He's an absolute genius. Every big question that you've ever wondered about, chances are William James was there first. Um, and in the 1890s and the early 1900s, William James sort of was looking at three categories of experience that he thought were all the same thing. And he called them all religious experiences, though he had a very kind of fluid and broad definition of what that meant. But he was looking at three categories of experiences that he thought were the same thing. He was looking at flow states, so those in-the-zone moments, right? He was looking at psychedelic experiences, those, you know, very mind-altering experiences produced by, he was looking at nitrous oxide and mescaline, but now we'd extend it to LSD and we might even go out into, you know, MDMA um, Mm -hmm. a little bit. And he was looking at kind of contemplative and mystical experiences. So everything from, you know, kind of Quaker prayer ceremonies all the way up through, you know, Buddhist meditation traditions, uh, up into like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and trance states, and yoga. The list was really long. So, turns out those, you know, and, and we, and, and what happened next is, you know, for a hundred years we split them apart. They became individual mm. things, right, with individual right. minds of seekers. 
place right. dates were produced were chased by artists and athletes. Meditative and contemplative mystical states were seekers and seers and saints. And, you know, the psychedelic states were hippies and ravers. Right? And these were groups that didn't necessarily talk to one another. They were overlapping lines of development, you know. And what we now know, because neuroscience has advanced so much in the past 10 years, and we can kind of look under the hood for the first time, see what's going on in the brain, is all these experiences are essentially the same thing. From a neurobiological perspective, sure, there are differences, and they're critical and they're important, but there's massive amounts of overlap. And right. James was right. We're looking yeah. at, And James, by the way, James was also right way back then. He said, look, he said, whatever you want to believe about these experiences, right, and the content, what happens in them, somebody sees God in a field and, and whatever, forget about the content. He said, on the other side, people are changed. They have... Massive healings from trauma. Their lives are more fulfilling. They're more contented. They're more consumed. They're more... Like, he noticed that way back then. There's nothing new under the sun. We've gotten more precise, but we, it, we took a hundred-year detour around these ideas and, you know, sort of around the whole notion of, like, this upper possibility space of human experience in general, right? You know, right, pretty right. soon Freud showed up. And we became very interested in pathological problems, not psychological possibilities. And if you ignore Abraham Maslow and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, it's not until Martin Seligman comes along we've got positive psychology in the early, you know, turn of the century, this last century, that people start paying attention to kind of this this upper possibility space, this ecstatic space, or, or what I like to yeah. talk about is the territory that's north of happy. Right, exactly. And I think the challenges that we're faced today are even more important than than ever because we are dealing, we are having to deal with things that are, are bigger issues. We are dealing with global issues. We're dealing with personal challenges, overwhelm, etc. You know, how, how can ecstasis be available to every man and woman? We talk about the Navy SEALs, extreme, extreme athletes, but what we really want to do is help empower everyone, right? So, so how can, how, how could an in, a regular average person take advantage of this and then right after the break we're going to break in a few minutes but we want to talk a little bit about why people don't know about this right so you know what how how does do you have an example of an average person who's been able to adopt this a sort of cross cross capability you well, talk about we, the yeah, I mean, field we, we, yeah we've seen we we you know the examples sort of are everywhere but they're literally like what you have to realize is that when you have soccer moms with yoga practices right right you're right. looking at this tradition when you the the fact that you know I think it's almost fifty percent of businesses are going to have meditation mindfulness based stress reduction as part of corporate wellness by the end of two thousand and seventeen. Then you're looking at a huge portion of the the recent rise in psychedelic medicine. The fact that the FDA is seriously considering using MDMA right street name ecstasy uh, as a treatment for anxiety and depression. Like we started right. Out five years ago, and we're looking at, you know, miraculous cures to PTSD, which, you know, 25 million Americans are going to have at any one particular point. It's a huge problem, but now you're all the way down to kind of anxiety and depression. Right, right. Uh, right. So I, the access points are myriad, and they're growing because we're getting technological access points. You've got the Muse headset. You've got exactly. the Think headset. You've got you know, on and on and on. So, I mean, you know, people get nervous around, like, the technology of psychedelic drugs. Okay, but tomorrow's psychedelic drugs is going to be a headset. 
that right. you use, right? And we're already seeing this, and we're seeing Fast it, tracking. you know, with elite performers, radar operators are zapping their brains with transcranial magnetic stimulation before they kind of, before they get on screen, essentially, because it mimics a flow state, and they can detect more patterns and details. This is going on right. now. And it's accessible. Like anyone, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm with the Muse company, Interaxon, and, you know, we're seeing people transition their ability to focus attention and create that, that superpower, that, that capability and advantage in meditations very quickly. And, and I, what's, what's phenomenal is what you're saying is that we all have access to this. It is available for us to use. There is no cost to meditation. You know, there yeah, is, there you, is, you know, you know there are it's time and, and, and intelligent acquisition of it, you know, and I think what we want to do is we're going to, if we can summarize a little bit of this, and then I'd love to talk after the break, if we can come back and talk a little bit about why people don't know about this. Sure. So the fact that it's available, let's talk about why don't they know and what's preventing us, you know? So, you know, what it, it set that up for me for, for after the break, uh, uh, Stephen, in terms of, you know, why don't they know and what are we going to, what are we going to share with them after the break? Well, what, what, what we're going to focus on, you know, we taught, we asked the we did a calculation. We tried to figure out how much time and money people actually invest in kind of chasing these states. And we came up with a huge number, $4 trillion of the global economy. Some of this is conscious, direct, and intentional. A lot of it is unconscious. But it was a huge number. And once we got that number, one-sixteenth of the global economy, people are spending on this. We're like, well, how the hell is this? Like, where has it been hiding? And when we right. started to realize, when we li- dug deeper into that question of where this you know, four trillion dollar underground revolution has been hiding, we realized that the, the quick and dirty answer is it's literally beyond the pale of polite society. And we found that, you know, there were three sort of pickets in this this fence, the pale of the state, the pale of the church, and the pale of the body. And so what we're going to talk about after the break is what those things are and why they've been hiding this giant $4 trillion underground revolution in kind of ultimate human performance. Exactly, and how we can hack that and make it open to everyone so you can actually tra- learn to adapt these skills in an, in an intelligent, thoughtful way that builds your performance, your competitive advantage, and your whole life. I've, I've been doing this for years, and now I'm actually looking at how can I take it to the next level. And I love the book and how it actually can connects things together for me and allows me to look at this menu of items and be able to select the, 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 the options in order to optimize it. And I also want to talk about why why people don't know, but also the balance between the darker side of all this and how do we navigate that balance intelligently. This is just an awesome conversation and is a pivotal point of of how humanity can evolve by adopting these uh, meditative uh, and and, uh, performance uh, techniques. And and it's been a pleasure talking with Stephen Kotler and we'll join, uh, we'll come back after the break. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, uh, the third aspect of how these experiences can be dangerous and how we can intelligently navigate to get that advantage. It's been uh, it's an exciting area, and, the, and, and Stephen, you are on the cutting edge of making this happen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. 
Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you've always wanted to take the lead in your life, but you don't believe you are a leader, then it's time to change that mindset. Leadership expert Linda Patton will help you discover the powerful leader that lives within and teach you the leadership skills that will transform your business and your life. Stepping into your leadership brings reality to your vision, and leadership can be learned. Find out more on Leadership Stars every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. The Voice America Women's Channel. This is Humanity Evolve with Katherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Welcome back to Humanity Evolve. This is Catherine Calarco, your host, and we are speaking with Stephen Kotler. And before the break, we talked a little bit about what was Stealing Fire and, and the background behind ecstasis and the components of it, including flow, and also why people don't know about it. And I thought it'd be a, it's a great opportunity to kind of come back and talk about, you know, why don't people know about this? Why is it not com- uh, kind of brought together? And then also to lead into to, uh, sort of the balance of how do you balance out the negatives and the positives to achieve that higher performance in a time we need it more than ever. So, Stephen, continue that conversation that you were talking about with regard to why uh, th- this is not a well understood or adopted uh, technique. Where is this revolution behind? And we, we, yeah. well, we, you know, our, what our research kind of focused on is that there are kind of three kind of barriers that we call pales, right? Because these things exist beyond the pale of polite society. And the first is uh, the pale of the church. And th- th- I want to tell you a story because it's the easiest way to yeah, kind of exemplify absolutely. this about uh, a friend of mine, uh, James Valentine, who uh, is the lead guitarist for Maroon 5. And this was actually one of the very first stories I heard almost 15 years ago that sort of lingered and lingered and lingered and kind of became one of the seed kernels for the book. But uh, James grew up uh, in the Church of Latter-day Saints, and very deep in the church. Uh, his aunt was secretary to the prophet, which is the highest post in the church. His whole family taught at Brigham Young University. Everybody in yep. his family had degrees from the school, and that was supposed to be his path, right? He was going right. to you know, finish He's high gonna... school, and he was going to go on a mission. He was going to come back and spend his life serving his church, and that was what he was going to do. And he probably would have done that, but a baseball game got in the way. And <laughs> For that to make any sense, you have to understand that at the heart of the Mormon faith is a non-ordinary state of consciousness they call the Holy Ghost feeling, and it is a real shift in consciousness. It's been described as, James will describe it as like a burning in your 
bosom and a kind of a feeling of oneness with everything and universal love. And it's very, very, very powerful. And he had right. lots of experiences of this Holy Ghost feeling growing up, and all of them came in church. And then one day, he's 13 years old, he's playing baseball, and he hits a ground ball double out, you know, to center field, and he's rounding first base, and he bumps smack into the, that Holy Ghost feeling. And by the time he's at second base, he's having a crisis of faith. Because God, as far as he knows, doesn't really play baseball. Isn't really into baseball. <laughs> doesn't like, quite know like, what the heck is going on. Like, where did this come from on the baseball field? It belongs in church. And then right. a year later, he's given his first guitar. And yeah. if baseball was a problem, guitar is a real problem. He would go into these trance states. He described them that were so deep that he, the drool would pour out of his mouth. He was just in another universe, right? right. Incredibly ecstatic experience, incredibly high, deep Holy Ghost feeling, and it literally, you know, he had to break with his church over it. And this is not unusual. Access to God, right, access to these divine feelings is kind of reserved for the founders of religions, but... Parishioners, you get it, but you get it in, you know, dribbled out, little bits at a time. You can't, like, go having unadorned access to this. And you see this tension everywhere. You know, it's, you know, solemn imams versus, you know, Sufi mystics. It's holy rolling, you know, Christians versus chapter and verse Catholics. And you see it everywhere. Um, and, you know, today we can kind of, like, talk about the pale of the churches as a, as a thing you can escape from. But historically, like, it was not, like... Joan of Arc, right, hears visions, talks to God, she's got direct access to mystical experiences, she wins the Hundred Year War for her country, and they're so freaked out, they, you know, trump up charges, try her for heresy, they burn her at the stake three times older, over, like literally once is not enough, they burn her three times, and then they scatter her ashes into the sins and nobody can save a relic. Like, we're scared of these experiences historically. We treat right. them with, with, with caution, we wall them behind the pale of the church. So we have the pale of the church. We also have the pale of the state, which is basically the idea that there are certain states of consciousness that we sanction. And say you can have access to these things, and certain ones that we say no; these are these are against the law, right? You're not, and, and sometimes they're it's socially, but sometimes we ascribe these laws, you know, criminally, and they're really weird laws. Ritalin and methamphetamines are essentially the same drug. Mm. One is right; one is beyond the pale of, of the state, and 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 the other is, is legal, and, you you know, dispensed by suburban doctors. Very strange and sometimes arbitrary. And the last one is the pale of the body, which is really interesting. It's, it's basically that we tend to privilege and trust experiences we have to work really hard for, even if they're mystical experiences. So we tend to trust yoga and meditation and those kinds of aesthetic paths, but we distrust external technologies. So we're suspicious of kind of psychedelic states. It, we, the, the best example is the Good Friday experiment, which was done to prove that, yes, psychedelic experiences produce authentic mystical experiences, and it's as authentic as, say, prayer or meditation and those kinds of things. And they've literally redone that experiment three different times to, like, reprove the results, even though they keep finding the same thing over and over and over because we're so resistant to the idea that you could 
go A to B and have one of these experiences. Yeah, it's like, almost like it's almost like you can't fast track there. And I'm almost there is a reason for that though. I mean, they there is the downside or the negative side or the unguided aspect of 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 the of it. And I think there's just not enough knowledge about what is safe and what is what you can do and what you can't do and who you are and how you know. And I, you know, like there's there's this aspect of. Not enough cross-functional knowledge to really make this a safe place for most average people to go into, right? Which is absolutely, and it's one of the points we make in the book, which is kind of why this is not the very first time in history, right? People have discovered that non-ordinary states of consciousness can massively improve performance, right? We've right, seen this exactly. revolution over, go, go back to the Greeks and the rights of Eleusis, go straight through the 60s as a general rule. Every time we light down, out down this path, we get horrifyingly lost. Right, and, exactly. Right, and, you know, the, so the, those pales, we can paint them in an unflattering light, but they exist to keep us safe. And, right. you know, the worst part about it is uh, that, you know, we also get a lot of false gods leading right. us astray. Exactly. Um, and that, you know, that's another, another difficulty here. What's interesting and what's changing, we talk about this in the book, is there are four emerging forces, changes yeah. in psychology, neurobiology, pharmacology, and technology that are letting us map and measure these states like never before. We can tune them with incredible precision, and we have new ways of understanding them that may allow us, may allow us to kind of navigate safely. What this, we have a for the very first time, these four forces seem to give us something of a middle path that allows right. us to kind of blend the extremes and proceed, you know, in a way where we don't blow ourselves up and we can actually right. harness the benefit without kind of giving into the hedonistic downfall. Yeah, exactly. And you talk about that a little bit about, you know, when pursued intelligently and skillfully, they can heal trauma, relieve anxiety, boost creativity. And you also talk about in the book the the balance between external driving that state and internally driving that state. And that the the and I I read that it was the longer sustained view of it is when you drive it internally. When you use meditation or or the state of love or uh you know, doing things that you enjoy and creating that connection to your higher self or the your your best self that that sustains well, over time but it's slower right so well, you, you, I mean, yeah let's just talk about healing trauma for a second because it gives us a great side-by-side comparison exactly actually been researched so early studies into PTSD right which is this intractable psychological condition were done by Michael Mitherhofer and Rick Doblin from maps and they were looking could you use MDMA the psychedelic to treat PTSD. And what they discovered is that in they were using kind of victims of sexual abuse, uh, child abuse, and uh, uh, Iraq and Afghani war veterans with PTSD. And they found, you know, one to three sessions produced a kind of total reduction in symptoms and people were completely off their meds. And I got a chance to kind of interview uh, one, an army ranger who was blown up in Iraq and whose life had been absolutely destroyed by PTSD. And he, he was scheduled for, I think, 
three treatments. And he said, literally, like, not the first session was so effective, his nightmare stopped. He was started rebuilding his life. By the time he got to his second session, like a week later, he, did, he, he was done with the trauma in Iraq. He was done with the fact that he got blown up. He wanted to go into his childhood and see what he could repair back then. And he called, he called it a sacred molecule. So very powerful. We've seen this. Okay, so that's the use of a psychedelic. That's, you know, one session heals trauma. Amazing. Carly Rogers at UCLA essentially redid that study. This time she substituted surfing as a trigger for flow states uh, and talk therapy. Right, it's the yeah. exact same protocol used with soldiers. Right, they used MDMA and talk therapy. Now she's just swapped out surfing. Now they've done this with over a thousand soldiers at Camp Pendleton, and what they find is that after five weeks of surfing, you can have a significant to total reduction in PTSD-like symptoms. Yeah. Right, absolutely. So then they redid the same experiment with meditation. A month of right. meditation, twenty right. minutes a day total reduction of PTS symptoms. So what you've got is three different techniques for accessing these states, different levels of risk, right? You could maybe say MDMA is the most risk. You've got to take amphetamine and what can be a somewhat addictive substance and very sticky and it's got, it's got problems, but it will give you, you know, massive, right? Massive relief produces this, you know, altered state and the healing from trauma is profound, slightly right. less risky, is surfing, but you still have to learn a new right. sport. You can still drown, blah, blah, blah. And then meditation is not without its risk. People don't, like, people think of mindfulness-based stress reduction is totally harmless, and it is. But if you want the kind of radical transformation we seem to be talking about here, Vipassana, you know, a three-week silent meditation retreat may work better, but it's not without its risks as well. People mm. lose their crap. Can we say crap on the air um, <laughs> after, those, after those retreats um, as well? But you, you see what I'm saying? So it's, yeah, I do. It's you like a, you, you, in the book, the you talk about this doing... equation of the risk versus the, the style and what you need. And I, I can attest my story is scuba diving. I literally went uh, – uh, the scuba diving taught me so much about, you know, you have to learn to manage your breath. You have to be underwater, which is a foreign environment, right? You have – you can't really talk to people. You have to use signals. And I was literally learning to be within the environment with animals so that you wouldn't frighten them away. So I was learning mindfulness and coherence and, and 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 healing at the same time because you had the added advantage of the increased oxygen within your blood due to the pressure of underwater. So the aspects of I I, I love the idea of By combining the way, I surf. I have to tell you, know? you my fish and mindfulness, it's a brilliant yeah. idea. Great mindfulness it. training. What so a we're gonna really cool. we are gonna talk about that a bit more about how to that's how really, nature heals and uh, totally after the break. Sense. Yeah, so I just I, we're just gonna go to break after the break. Please wait for us. We're gonna tell more stories about how to incorporate these techniques into your life. And Stephen has a gift for you, which is a, a a little map and a and a calendar system that actually can help you to create a schedule for yourselves. Uh, so I, we're gonna go for break. This. This is Catherine Calarco on Humanity Evolve, and we're talking with Stephen Kotler. We'll be back after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever wondered what is this place and how did I get here? 
Or even how can I exist here finding some happiness and fulfillment? Yeah, me too. Life is an unscripted adventure, and I invite you to join me on mine. Together, we're going to meet some really cool people, and not your usual suspects either. These people are doing it. They're living happy, fulfilled lives, changing the world, changing their communities, or even just changing themselves. And I know they'll inspire you to do the same. Life Unscripted with Betsy Chassie can be heard live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. You can become your own personal GPS of your finances and your life. Check out Journey to Balancing Your Life with Brandy T. Jones. Brandy speaks from her experiences as a single mom who couldn't always make ends meet, but always provided for her young daughter. Today, she can help you take that step and claim your personal and financial worth. It's time for your freedom. Listen for Journey to Balancing Your Life every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Voice America Women's Channel, a leader in the forward movement of women's success. This is Humanity Evolve with Katherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Hello, welcome back. We, this is Catherine Kalarka with Humanity Evolve, and today we're talking with Stephen Kotler about stealing fire and how to create competitive advantage and, and superhuman performance within yourselves. It's adaptable for anyone. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about why people don't know about the relationship between non-ordinary states and peak performance and why this is such a big revolution. And we ended up uh, talking about uh, scuba diving and surfing, which is two of my favorite things to do. And well, body surfing. I'm not a regular surfer, but the the being in the ocean and how healing that is, and being mindful. And I think that each of us have these these this knowledge, this intuitive knowledge associated with uh, what what helps you to get into that state. And then it teaches you things like uh, you know, like mindfulness and being connected with fish and animals. I mean, nature teaches you how to be mindful and fully present. So we were just leaving on that, and then we're also going to talk a little little bit about how do we make this approach safer through big data. So, so uh, Stephen, let, let's talk a little bit about the fish story and mindfulness. We left with that. Well, one of the, what I think we're, we're talking about, one of the things, you know, and it ties it together, right? We were talking sort of right. about the upside and the downside of, of these states and how, you know, this has gone wrong before. And right. one of the things, you know, one, and what's interesting is it's not only has it gone wrong before, it goes wrong in very predictable ways. Like, we now know enough about these, these experiences to know that they, they fall apart in very specific ways. And one of the ways they fall apart is the level of information you start accessing in these, these states becomes very, very, very enticing. And you can end up sort of lingering too long in the bliss, and mm. w- which 
happens, you know, it, it is literally called, you know, the rapture of the deep in scuba diving. There's a technical term for it. When you right, go down exactly. too low, you change your internal chemistry and you just get lost in all the crazy things you're discovering. You're high <laughs> as a kite on the bottom of the ocean. You go right? get narked. It's, it's, I call it getting narked, yeah. <laughs> right, is what's going on, and and the stats are high. Like one in ten out of diver fatalities is 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 this reason, and that's not you know that's not uncommon. This is this is a kind of a known danger. Um, but the flip side is also true. You know, as you pointed out, you know, interactions with nature. Anytime we encounter novelty, complexity, and unpredictability, you get a powerful right. neurobiological reaction, and you know, it. nature. It's a phenomenal way to have yeah. that encounter. You right. up the ante a little bit by adding in a meditative, mindful technique, right? You're already in right. kind of an altered state. You're very deeply embodied in another kind of flow trigger because it's a very yeah. rich sensory experience. So you're in flow, you know, you're starting to play <laughs> with, you know, more powerful kind of state-changing triggers. You're adding in a meditation layer. And I mean, by the way, this is what the research is starting to show. And you hinted to this earlier, and I think it's just a point worth coming back to to make, which is that people on the cutting edge, right, whether you're talking about employees at Google or the Navy SEALs, um, it it doesn't really matter. They're not just using one of these techniques. Exactly. They're building their lives around these techniques. And the research is, is showing this, too. They're, they were looking at some of the, they were, there was really interesting research in the UK that was looking at uh, psychedelic therapy aided by meditation. Right. And, you know, of course, what they're discovering is you can, you know, when you're deploying both of these skillfully, um, you get compound results. This is not surprising, right? We're seeing, you know, everybody start to blend a lot of these techniques. This is kind of new, right? It didn't used to be this way. It used to be you wanted to play this game, you had to kind of become a Buddhist, and you got to play with those techniques, or you became an X, and you got to play with Y, and now we've open-sourced this stuff. We've taken, you know, it's, it's, it's gone wide. We've taken some of it to scale. More of it is coming to scale, and, you know, as as a result, we can kind of make up our own minds, uh, right. which you know Not is a, fantastic. Yeah, and it's kind of like well, you, you were talking about you know the it, it, it being intelligently applied. The information's now available, and we can synthesize that. And like with scuba diving, you dive with a buddy, right? You've got you have a dive master. You learn to dive. You know, you're not like oh, let's get a tank on and you throw in the water, right? You. You know, you learn to do these things and you can start off just by watching the ocean and then you can start by snorkeling or you could just jump right in and learn how to do nitrox diving and uh, as a professional diver. So there's ways of being able to do this and there are the trade-offs that you were talking about. And I, and I think what's important when I'm hearing you is, is that, one, the information's out there. Two, you can engage it in a safe way if you actually you think about it intelligently. And three, you can actually optimize your performance by simply doing things like meditation, you know, the digital meditation that we have with Muse, with uh, even I- I- interacting with, with, uh, with nature itself, and, and, and knowing more about yourself. You know, I love your four, your four uh, states that you talk about that we briefly touched on, the four forces of ecstasis, which is psychology, neurobiology, pharmacology and technology and you can use each of those in different ratios or, or and 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 I think that when you do 
you can actually enter that, you can start to learn what helps you the best. And for me, it was at the beginning, without having a lot of knowledge, scuba diving did a lot for me. And just being able to be underwater and, and be mindful and, and learn how to swim with the fish and have dolphins come up to you because they were not afraid of you. And and just that whole experience of, you know, even a baby whale, a baby uh, and, and uh, came up, a little baby humpback whale was curious about me and came over and looking at me and its mother didn't bother her, her the little whale coming over over to me and gently they swam away. I mean, that moment was phenomenal, but you can't do that just by splashing around in an uncontrolled way. You need to be part of the environment and and, and you need to be your best self for those things to show up. So I, I'd love to hear more about the, you know, deploying those four forces and how do we use this, this open source aspect to create more knowledge around these, these four areas. Well, I, the, what's interesting, you know, one of the things that's happening with psychology, there's a lot happening, and, and the biggest shift is kind of psychology is just widened out, and we have really permission to, to, to be in lots of different ways um, that we, we certainly didn't used to. But the other thing that's happening, psychology is becoming much more rigorous, right? We're getting, there's a cognitive neuroscience underpinning, so we're starting right. to get maps of mechanism, and the Places that we're not getting maps of mechanism, people are starting to take a big data approach. This is one of the things the Internet sort of gives us is you can run giant studies. I'll give you, you know, our own flow profile, uh, which you can find on the Flow Genome Project website, um, is a great example. This thing's been taken by over 50,000 people. It's one of the largest studies anybody's ever conducted at Optimal Psych. And, you know, one of the things that we learned from it, which is crazy, even though Flow had this long history of being associated with artists and athletes, in our research, you know, of that 50,000 people, 47% of the respondents fall into kind of a deep thinker category, meaning they're finding the most flow when they're kind of doing contemplative, creative tasks, whether that's, mm. you know, being a lawyer or being an architect right. or being a software engineer. I mean, it's literally what we're all doing for a living, and yeah. it turns out that's the highest flow environment on Earth, <laughs> and you wouldn't know it. So, right. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's like we spend a lot of time, you know, <laughs> corporate America saying, well, you know, we're looking for, we want more flow in our, you know, in our workplace. Got it. And what the data is showing is, <laughs> like, it's there already. You exactly. just like you, right? So <laughs> it's we, surprising, right? Like shocking, but like <laughs> that's the, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the things that, and we're getting this, you know, all over the place. I'll give you like two crazy examples. But if you uh-huh. think about it, so you go back a couple thousand years ago, somebody has an experience where they, you know, see a burning bush, talk to God, they come back down the hill and tell people about it, and that's kind of how you start a religion. That's how it goes, and the problem is you've got to take this one dude's word for it, and maybe you believe him, and maybe you don't. Maybe you've got some questions for yourself. It's one guy, right? It's a one-to-many model. It's okay. Right. It, it, it's certainly been one of the most potent forces in the history of the world, but not exactly, you know, it, it has truthiness, not really truth, if you know what I mean. And so what's happening is we've got these open source movements. Right now, for example, there is a giant near-death experience open source database. And if you have a near-death experience, you can go to this database and you enter your experience anonymously. You can't benefit from it. It's an anonymous open. And there are tens of thousands of experiences. So you can start doing these 
big meta-analysis. The same thing is going on with DMT, the most potent, one of the most potent psychedelics on Earth. There's all kinds of online open-source lexicons that are filled with kind of wisdom, like don't believe everything you think. And just because you had this giant revelatory end-of-the-world experience, don't necessarily trust it. And, you know, people are taking this huge big data open source approach to what used to be private revelation. And it's giving us, right, so here's all this, these weird categories that are so squishy, we still don't know what to do with them. We're not only decoding the neurobiology of what's going on in the the brain when this is happening, but we're saying, okay, you're having these crazy experiences, let's map them, let's compare tens of thousands of data points and see what's real. That's different. That's that's that's, right, so when we talk about safer ways to navigate through here, right? One of the dangers of this stuff is ego inflation. People start right. having these experiences and they start thinking they're God, right? There's all kinds of Jerusalem syndrome is, is, is a, one of the technical psychological terms for this. Um, but there's, you know, examples everywhere, but it's really hard to become a God or a cult leader <laughs> when there are tens of thousands of other people having your exact same experience and writing in, in about it. It's like, go, yeah, go ahead, Stephen. I'm just, you know, it's like almost like you're talking about the ability for our shared experience to become universal wisdom, and and that and that one, you become, you realize that what you thought was abnormal is normal, and that there is a way to learn from this experience if you're able to share it with more people, but not become, not run away with it and actually deploy it in a different way. Now, I'm very faith based, I, and I'm also very open to the the, the what is possible, and so I think that the you can use the voice of God. God's to help you, the voice of God to help you, or you can, and and you can actually listen to your own experience and use the wisdom of humanity to actually create the, how much more we don't know. And that and now it, we're learning as a as a collective, we're learning what what is out there, right? And what what is the knowledge that we can actually use for ourselves and 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 to create a, a better performing uh, experience, correct? Or well, I mean, I think you, you hit like 17 different points, and I agree with all of them. Um, <laughs> right? It's so, kind of our conversation. I mean, the, the, Sorry, the couple that really fast. resonated that, that, that I'd like to point out, like, let's talk about neurobiology for a second. And, and, and the, what's happened in neurobiology, we've gotten so good at looking under the hood at mystical experiences. We've gone from really like the most common deep mystical experience, the feeling of being oneness with everything. They call it unity, the perennial philosophy. It's in every single mystical system and religion on earth ever in history. It's always there because it's the fundamental mystical experience down to like the doppelganger effect, which is the, the vision it's in Kabbalistic Judaism. You can see your double and you can ask this double questions and sort of use it as like a soothsayer. So over 15 years, we've gone from like decoding unity to not only like decoding the doppelganger effect, but now in VR simulations, anybody can have this experience, right? So in 15 years of like neurotheology, we've gone from kind of the most common mystical experiences and kind of figuring out how to trigger them all the way to the, to the rarest. None of this means that we've solved any of the big mysteries. All right, we've said right. is, hey, there's biological mechanism here, and yeah. you can hack it. Holy crap, right? right? I know. Like, <laughs> so you gotta, you, the, the important point is also these were the rarest experiences in history. 
right? right? These were the experiences that, whether it's Archimedes in the bathtub having a revelatory insight or Moses on Mount Sinai seeing a burning, right? Take your pick. These in moments of insights and inspiration, they changed and carved history, and they were very rare. What these four forces do is they make them wildly accessible, and, and, and that is that is the biggest point is that now they're accessible and and just to you know Stephen I think that what you've illuminated is now we have these abilities to evolve within ourselves and uh, just in closing I, we've only got a, a minute or two left um, I, I'd give you a few minutes to to summarize this uh, Stephen uh, is accessible um, via at Stephen Kotler on Twitter also please go to the flowgenomeproject.com um, there's some stealing fire tools that are on there there's a, a hedonic calendar, which is an amazing way to uh, plan out and intelligently navigate this information. And Stephen, I'd just love to give you about a minute or two to summarize this experience and, and give people one more, what is the one thing that they can do to start on this journey? Well, one thing you could do is go to stealingfirebook.com and uh, pre-order a copy of the book um, awesome. and read all about it and you'll get, you know, access to every we've got a, a, an amazing pre-order campaign going so you can get access to every single tool we've been talking about and a whole bunch more um that's one place to start flow genome project as you pointed out and you know the most important thing i think is that um this is you know it's an amazing revolution in human possibility that, that kind of we're on the cusp of and every other time we've been on this cusp um, we've gotten it wrong, one way or another. And, you know, the possibilities are immense, the responsibilities are immense. And I think kind of, you know, it's everybody's kind of open source project, right? This, the kind of these states of consciousness and the performance enhancement they bring, everybody's birthright and everybody's responsibility. So I think that's, that's you know, that's where I want to, you know, kind of close with. Absolutely. It is our, it is now our birthright and our responsibility to use these evolutionary techniques that are being open sourced and made available. And the one way to do that is to access the stealingfire.com website and get the tools and stay connected with Stephen and I on Twitter. It's been a pleasure to have you on board. I've really appreciated the conversation and I hope that you have too. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have questions or want to keep the conversation going, please connect with us on Twitter or, or info at ccalarco.com if you've got a question or a comment. It's been a pleasure to have you on board, Stephen. I, I love our conversations and I really appreciate the time that we've had together. All right, guys, get out there, make a plan, make a difference, be part of the new humanity and, and connect with yourselves and connect with others. Let's make this happen. The world needs us. Thank you for joining Catherine Calarco for this week's edition of Humanity Evolve. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.